You're listening to The Dollop. This is a by thing American history podcast. Each week, I, Dave Anthony, read a story to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. So, ah. not sure. Or, or has no idea how the intro is going to go. Nailed it. I just saw a large uh, mammal. I think it was a, a seal? No. That was not a seal. It was seal-shaped. <clears throat> it's a cat. It's That's a, a cat. It's a cat named should, Jose. Should cats have necks? Uh, he, look, he, he should linebackers have necks? Should top athletes have necks? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, they should. Well, a lot of them don't. And so well, that's the same with cats. Some athletic cats. Uh-huh. This, he's like the jack kangaroo. He's not fat. Well, he's really slowly going into a box right now. Yeah. Nope, he's going over it. Oh, he's crushing uh, it. That's right. Oh, yeah, he crushed, oh, oh, that was so sad. Uh-huh. He's so heavy, he crushed the box. Now it's just flat. Dude, it's not, you're making it sound like it's a taped up box. It's propped up there for him to have fun with it. So, of course, he's it collapses. Clearly not. No. He didn't know. No, he does know. He's, that happens 11 times a day, what you just saw. Oh. You didn't witness something sad. special. It's not sad. That was sad. No, SeaWorld's sad. God, you want a little hit of dude? I'll do one bump. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> See, he's not even looking at you. Not even looking at you. Doesn't oh, no, doesn't respond to doesn't respond to its calls. Dude, he's not a seal. Eighteen twenty. All right, eighteen twenty. And eighteen twenty nine. How is that possible? <laughs> what is happening? Cousins Philip Arnold and John Slack were born oh, okay. in Hardin County, Kentucky. <clears throat> All right. What We're, are their names? Slack. Philip Arnold and John Slack. John Slack. Okay. Uh, I knew Charlie Slack in uh, high school. He beat me up. Oh. Near Elizabethtown. Okay. Uh, it's close to where Abraham Lincoln was born. So I know that. You don't, so you don't need to tell me where Abraham Lincoln was great born. Great people were, came from this Elizabethtown. area. Elizabethtown. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, this guy, the other guy. They were raised as farmers, but both joined the military to fight in the Mexican-American War. Okay. For the Americans. Okay. Slack- a, a war we're planning on revisiting soon. Yep. Looks like it. Yeah. Uh, Slack claimed he walked all the way to Mexico to join up. Okay. Wait, he was on the Mexican side? No, he's in Kentucky, and he said he walked all the way down to Mexico to to get involved. <laughs> Sorry, as uh, just a logistical Go ahead. flag, if I may throw a logistical you may, flag. You may. Uh, I have many. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would you go to Mexico to join the American side? Well, I guess he might have walked to the border where the... I mean, we did go into Mexico. It wasn't like we were... But he talked to somebody before he went into Mexico. Uh, maybe. Or maybe he walked down and went, Hey, you guys, I'm, I'm going to fight with you guys. And they're like, Come on, get a thing. A hatchet or whatever. It's not a game of kickball. It feels <laughs> like there's more hoops to jump through. So he might be lying. That's totally acceptable. 
That's totally acceptable <laughs> to think in this story. I'm not picking up my logistical flag, which is telling. Um, Arnold joined the fight a couple of months later. They both saw action and were honorably discharged. Okay. Slack was let out a year earlier, and he went back to Elizabethtown, where he became a constable. Uh, <laughs> gold was discovered in California in 1848, and that set off the gold rush. You knew that. Dave, I know that. Slack left his job and headed west. And then Cousin Arnold... I mean, that's not his first name, but I'm calling him Arnold. Cousin Philip went straight uh, after being discharged in Mexico. So he's like, okay. you're out. And he went, okay, I'm going to go so they there. both get in on the gold rush business. Bingo. Uh, the bingo business? They both reached the gold fields and mined uh, with very little luck. Early in the 1850s, they happened to find each other, and they stuck together. So they didn't even know. I guess back then, they didn't have cell phones or whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. Uh, Wait, you're doing this too? Holy shit, how long you been here? Four years. How's it going? Bad. Same. I wish I never left. I know. Uh, They partnered in hydraulic mining in Yuba County and met a man named Asbury Harpending. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. His name is Asbury Harpending? Asbury Harpending. I think I think it's a I think it's like a it's like English situation. Yeah, it, well, it sounds like a musical jam. Yeah, well, he might be a musical himself. We don't know. Yeah, uh, harp ending would soon harp ending become one of California. Close with the harp. That's what my granddad always said. Uh, he would eventually soon become one of California's main financiers. Okay. Um. Oh, so in 1854, Arnold. Apparently, they made some money because he headed back to Kentucky. He bought a farm. Uh, he got married, uh, started a family, and uh, supposedly stashed some cash there. So, okay. But then he came back to San Francisco to make some more dough. All right. Sourdough. Uh-huh. In 1870. <laughs> you like that one. <laughs> You're trying to resist. <laughs> In 1870, a man named James Cooper was working as an assistant bookkeeper for the Diamond Drill Company in uh, San Francisco. They were a drill maker that used diamond-headed bits. Sure. Uh, So Cooper is a bookkeeper, and he's just over 40 years old. Okay. Um, He was very interested in industrial-grade diamonds that kept the drills running. He's, like, fascinated by this stuff. (laughs) He went as far as to read through as much as he could on the subject, and at some point, Cooper befriended Arnold and Slack, and the cousins came into possession of a bag of uncut diamonds. Came into possession? Yep. It is believed... This is like how Michael Irving came into possession of crack. <laughs> so, it's magical! It's believed Cooper stole them from his employer... And then was going to go in on a little something with these two guys, and they just bailed on him. Okay. <laughs> wow. Arnold mixed the diamonds with garnets, rubies, and sapphires that he bought from some Indians in Arizona. It'll be the most beautiful thing ever. He's just making like a, a beautiful rock poop. I'm going to put them all in a blender and then mush them into something, <laughs> and it's going to be so beautiful. So the cousins, rubies and emeralds and pearls and gold and diamonds. You should be a voice in a mm. in a like Christmas special. No, these kids won't have Christmas on my watch. There. The cousins. Took Not the, if I can collect all their teeth. Okay, that's a weird. Time. Sorry. The cousins. Took, so alone up here. 
No one visits me. I just... Who are you? Uh, you don't even want to know. The who? I'm the Iceman. <laughs> and nobody knows me well. Okay. Iceman... Touch me and you'll freeze. <laughs> no, thanks. That's the problem, you see. If I could be hugged, perhaps my cold heart would melt. Okay. But anyone who touches me also freezes. Wow, that's a rough Quite one. a conundrum I toil with up here alone. Yeah, maybe you'll figure it out in, in 22 I always wonder, oh, will a boy save me? <laughs> uh, the cousins took their little bag of gems, and they went to the office of Robert, uh, sorry, George D. Roberts, who was a prominent San Francisco businessman. Arnold had worked for Roberts previously as a prospector, so he knows the guy. He goes to him. Okay. Roberts was known to strike uh, quick when a business opportunity presented itself. Okay. So Arnold and Slack showed up one night at Roberts' office. They had uh, the appearance of two men who were pretty weather-beaten, right? So they have been outside a while. <laughs> sure. A couple catchers a showed up. Arnold clutched a small leather bag. They told Roberts what was inside was of great value and that they would have deposited it in the Bank of California, but it was already closed. Then they acted suddenly like they didn't want to talk about what was in the bag. Wait, this is too... Uh, come on. What is he like? Four? We're just getting started. <laughs> Finally, Arnold slipped and said, rough diamonds. What was, okay. Oopsie. When, what are you doing? When questioned by Roberts, they wouldn't say where they had found the diamonds, but they did let it slip that it was somewhere in Indian territory. So, wait, they're holding back. Hey, we can't tell you what's in the bag, okay? Anyway, how you been? Rough diamonds. Oh, man, I let it slip. Oh, what are you going to do? All right, as long as we don't tell them where it's from. Of course not. Our lips are sealed. Yeah, these rough diamonds are from Indian territory. Hey, whoa. Whoa. Quote, Roberts was very much elated by her discovery and promised Slack and myself to keep it a profound secret until we could explore this the country. This guy's hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Until- now, it's very important you don't have any of those slips when talking to others, gentlemen. <laughs> Good thing you did this in front of me. Until we could explore the country further and uh, ascertain more fully the extent of our discoveries. Arnold and Slack were good at working men, and they made... Uh, Robert swear he wouldn't tell anyone, knowing full well that he would tell everyone. Oh, God. Also, I think anytime someone uses ascertain, it's, You're I'm, out. I'm a little like, eh. Those are suspicious people. Yeah. Nobody, you can't casually say ascertain. Oh, I hadn't ascertained that. As soon as Arnold and Slag left, Roberts told the founder of the Bank of California, William C. Ralston, Ralston is a famous West Coast money <laughs> he man. He just couldn't shut up. No, no, fuck no. This guy's... So Ralston's a famous West Coast money man. He built hotels and mills and invested in pretty much everything, including the Comstock load and the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. When the big four who funded it ran out of money, he had thrown so much money into a silver venture in New Mexico that they named a town after him. <laughs> so he's, he's money bags. Okay. Johnson. Roberts reached out by cable to a guy he knew who was currently in London uh, getting ready to float a stock option for a new, the new silver venture. When you say cable, is that a, what is that? So that's how they used to communicate. Yeah, but what is that? That's just a... What is a cable back then? You know, I didn't even think about that when I wrote it. 
I don't think it's like Morse code. It's wouldn't be Morse. Yeah, that's what. I, right? I would it just be like it's just kind of like a telegram, probably? Maybe, but I would assume that let's see, eighteen fifties. Yeah, there might be like a, a, a short but sweet. It was like yeah, Twitter. He had one hundred forty characters. Yeah, one hundred forty characters. So the guy who was uh, there in London was Asbury Harpending. Harpending. <laughs> Quote: Ralston's description of it made Sinbad the sailor look like a novice. He said that diamonds of incalculable value could be gathered in limitless quantities at nominal expense, that they could be picked up on anthills, that a low estimate Wait. <laughs> was a $50 million proposition. Sorry, I, I'm going to need a couple things okay. cleared up. Okay. Let's start with the anthills. Okay, so they, they, they told them. Arnold and Slack told them that they're just... Harp, this is harp ending, they told this to. No, they told this, this to is Roberts. Ra- and he told it to harp ending. Yeah. Right, okay. And he said that there's just diamonds laying around in this place and that they can just pick them up and it won't cost much money to get them out of the ground because they're easy to grab and it, they're going to be worth $50 million. But that's the anthills thing? He's saying like they're in the ground? Yeah, he's saying they're like on ha- anthills. Like they're... Like you can There's that many. In. You can just reach in and grab them. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to abandon that one. Usually a, you so, mind So form. And harp, harp ending, he is the guy who was obsessed with the diamond, uh, like, cutting, right? No. Oh, which guy is he? That guy's gone. Who's harp ending? Harp ending is the guy we met at first, and he just worked with, he just worked with Arnold. And okay. Slack. All right. Gotcha. That's all. Okay. So... He hears this crazy story, and Ralston tells Harpending, he's like, you got to drop everything and come now. you got to come now. And Harpending's like, ah, I'm not really, it sounds kind of, eh. I mean, can I bring the harp? So he's not convinced. But then rumors of a vast diamond field in America hit London. Financers started calling Harpending for information because he knew Ralston. Suddenly it seemed real. So what happened was, is Roberts and Ralston were fucking telling everybody, and then word got back to the guy. It's just all nonsense, it's right? Just, yeah. Well, we'll see. But but now, just, okay. So, okay. so Harpending finally uh, heads for San Francisco, quote, as fast as steamships and railroads would carry me. <laughs> oh, I got there as quick as I could. Three weeks. He arrived. Oh, door to door, three weeks. He arrived in 1932. <laughs> Hello, I'm old and forgot why I came. So he arrives in San Francisco in May 1871. There he learned it was Arnold and Slack. He knew both of the men. Arnold had previously worked for Roberts uh, looking into mining properties. And Slack, quote, I had known as a plain man about town. Okay. That's not a good description. Of <laughs> yeah. Him. He's very simple. He's just a nobody to me. Arnold and Slack uh, came back from another trip to the diamond field. Hey, let me tell you, these diamonds are even more bountiful than we originally anticipated. They're on trees. Yeah, and uh, instead of uh, ants, those are diamonds now, too. So the anthills are actually diamonds. Diamond hills. So the ants are diamonds, and the hills diamonds, and on top of the diamonds is a diamond. This time they told Roberts they had 60 pounds of diamonds and rubies worth $600,000. Oh, this guy's like, oh my God, gentlemen, gentlemen, let's be calm. Roberts thought it was amazing, and he brought more people in on the deal. (laughs) Okay. Ralston told them that a local jeweler had authenticated the diamonds. Okay. All right. So, But that still doesn't corroborate whether or not you found the mother load. So now... There were Roberts Ralston, Harpending, plus San Francisco mining 
entrepreneurs William Lent and General George Dodge. <laughs> oh, those are great names. Yeah. Lent for a money man, <laughs> a general who dodged. Uh, they all wanted to get Arnold and Slack out of the picture by buying them out as soon as possible. Okay. Smart. Yep. I'll lose the losers real quick. That's right. But Arnold and Slack were not down with a buyout at first. Then Slack asked for $100,000 for his share. $50,000 now, and then $50,000 the next time they came back with diamonds. Okay. They said they wanted to make another trip to the diamond field, and the investors could then come and see it after. Okay. Arnold said they would come back with a couple million dollars worth of diamonds that would send the city into a diamond madness. I have a feeling that might be true. <laughs> and they would give the diamonds to the investors as a guarantee of good faith. Okay. Then, so let us go pet the dragon, and then we'll come back, and you can meet the dragon. So the two men took the 50 grand and headed to England, where they bought uncut gems using fake names. Okay. Wow. This is, yeah. I mean, this is def- This is like you're letting it ride. <laughs> Arnold called himself Ondell, and Slack called himself Bertram. And they- that is enough? I guess I don't think anybody's asking for ID when you're buying You just need to have a different name. When you're buying diamonds in the 1850s, no one fucking cares. I know, but it's still pretty amazing that all you have to do is be like, I'm Gus Rangus. (laughs) Thanks a bunch. (laughs) So they bought $20,000 worth of rough diamonds and rubies. They bought thousands of them. The seller asked them if they wanted them cut, but they said they did not. No, actually make them look really shitty. make them look shit like they're out in the ground. Hey, can you throw a couple ants on them? (laughs) Arnold and Slack went ahead to their diamond field and put the rest of the gems they had purchased in England all over the field and some in the ground. Oh, my God. They're Easter eggs. They then returned and uh, met Harpending at a train station just east of San Francisco. Harpending, quote, both were travel-stained and weather-beaten and had the general appearance of having gone through much hardship and privation. Sure. Slack was asleep, but Arnold sat grimly erect like a vigilant old soldier with a rifle by his side. Also, a bulky-looking buckskin package was there. Mm-hmm. Arnold and Slack said they had pulled enough diamonds to fill two sacks. Okay. Unfortunately, one of the slacks had been dropped in a river while they were crossing on a raft. Uh, the, the, the luck. Well, they came back and the river had gone up and... They had to build a raft. Sure. It didn't work out that great, and they yeah. dropped a sack of diamonds. Yeah. Well, that's okay, because here's one sack. How could there not be two? They gave the sack to Harpening when they got to Oakland. He gave them a receipt, and he headed to San Francisco on a ferry. <laughs> a receipt. A receipt for a sack of diamonds. Here that's you go. Cool. Here you go, sack of diamonds one. It's a write-off. <laughs> Harpening rushed home where the other investors were waiting. Gentlemen, Quote, I have fantastic news. We lost one, but we got one. <laughs> well, they dropped one in a river. Quote, we did not waste time on ceremonies. A sheet was spread on my billiard table. I cut the elaborate fastenings of the sack and, taking hold of the lower corners, dumped the contents. It seemed like a dazzling, many-colored cataract of light. <laughs> yep. Yep. That'll do it. That's what it was. They were all clearly pretty excited, but they were still businessmen. Sure. Clearly. So they took 10% of the gems to jeweler 
Charles Lewis Tiffany in New York City to be appraised. Tiffany. Yeah. Sure. sure. Tiffany's in company. You know, yeah. Deed guy. Yeah. They also hired a mining engineer to check out the diamond field. And to get everyone excited, they had a San Francisco jeweler put a bunch of the stones on sample in his window. Saying that... And it worked. But so, sorry. So, like, what is in their delusioned brains? What are they... What do they want? They Don't they want... They're going to sell stock. So they're, they have this area now, this amazing area, this beautiful utopia, mm-hmm. and they're going to sell stock and allowing people to go there. No, they're just going to sell stock and mining it like like you would if you found oil. Oh, okay, right, okay. You're going to create a company, sell right. stock. Okay, they're going public. Going public. Okay. It worked. The city was in a diamond fever, which would greatly increase the value of their investment. The investors formed a corporation and valued it at $10 million. (laughs) That's the best. (laughs) I mean, that's insane. That's like a crazy starting figure today. It's pretty close to what Uber is. It's It's madness. Yeah. All right, so where do we want to start off? Well, let's not get crazy. How about a trillion (laughs) dollars? Right? I mean, we're good. We're great. Okay, so now they went to New York, uh, hired a lawyer, Samuel Samuel Barlow, to represent them. In October 1871, they you, went to... You, how the, some of these names. Okay. An attorney whose name is Barlow. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is what the world was. It was easy to pass me. Are you Tom Pass Me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they go to the lawyer's house for the appraisal. Charles Lewis Tiffany was there, as well as... Uh, two Civil War generals, George McClellan, who had commanded the Union Army, was there because the group thought his name would attract other investors. This is just insane. And General Benjamin Butler was there because he was now a U.S. Represent- representative and they thought he could handle any legal issues in Congress if the diamond field turned out to be on federal land. I mean, they are putting together quite a package. Well, they're businessmen. They know what to do. Yeah. Fucking take the land from the people. And they then, got a name. Yeah. They got, they got, they got someone on the inside. Butler was nicknamed the Beast for his treatment of civilians in New Orleans during the war. So they got that guy. Okay. Uh, and the editor of the New York Tribune was also there. Tiffany went through the stones, which included some rubies, emeralds, and sapphires. He said, quote, uh, or quote, he, quote, viewed them gravely and held them up to the light, looking every whit the part of a great connoisseur. Then he delivered his verdict. Okay. Gentlemen, these are beyond precious stones of enormous value. (laughs) That's a bold intro. Gentlemen, these are beyond precious. These are beyond. He could not say exactly how valuable they were until he took them back to his shop and had his guy look at them, which was done. (sighs) Tiffany then reported the stones were worth $150,000. Bought for $20,000? 20, and then they threw a bunch on the ground. <laughs> so. so that's quite a bit more than the $20,000 they so paid. So it's just, it's, they're photocopying the BS. It's, it's spreading Remember, further. That's 10% of the bag. Right. 10% of the half of the 20. <laughs> oh, God. Uh Harpening did some math and concluded the sack was worth $1.5 million. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turns out, Charles Lewis Tiffany and his, I think it's Lapid- Lapidary, didn't know shit about uncut stones. So they were taking talking out of their ass. 
So Tiffany basically just got cut stones, and that's the only way to work with. Right. And so he brings it back to this guy, and they don't know shit about uncut diamonds. Right. So they just crazy overvalue it. <laughs> right, yeah. The guy who slices meat has a cow in front of him, and he's like, uh, uh, it's, how do you... Uh, I'd, say ni- I'd say nine pounds? A billion dollars, yep. Uh, but word was now out in New York, and speculators were circling. Everyone wanted in on the investment. Perfect. When word reached Arnold in San Francisco, he was surprised and excited. <laughs> yeah, what? Sorry. I uh, saw so you said it was, what? Uh, squeeze me, 150 what? 150,000, but they yeah, think it's yeah. more. So it's like 1.5 million. Oh, that's. Yes. You believe it? You must not be surprised though, because not, you knew that. I've been to the. No, I'm not surprised at all. Boy, I would love to take a look at this ant farm of yours. <laughs> it's a big one. So his con now has been blessed by the most famous jeweler in in the U.S., who is apparently a moron. Arnold then made a. He was spin- probably starting to think there were maybe diamonds there. <laughs> He's like, like, "What's wait, happening? Did I miss something? Were there actual diamonds there?" So Arnold then made a stink and said he was putting his property uh, at the mercy of others without security. Right. Right. Slack got his second fifty thousand, and Arnold got a hundred thousand. He then headed back to London as quickly as possible, and there he bought eight thousand. Oh, God. Of more uncut gems from the same guy. Uh, What'd you do with the first batch, pal? I must have dropped him in a river. (laughs) Oh, that's happening. Now he knew he was going to have to trick the investor's well-respected mining engineer, Henry Jannon, who the corporate members had hired. Okay. Harping, Harping, quote, as a great mine expert and consulting engineer, he was without appear in the u.s perhaps in the world nearly all the big operators are willing to stake their fortunes on his judgment so this is the test this is the guy it was janin uh it was said janin had examined over 600 mines and never made a mistake so arnold and slack met janin general dodge harpending and an english buddy of harpendings in st louis hello i don't have a name I think Ruberry, that's his name. Hello, I'm Ruberry. Hello, Ruberry. I'm quite fancy. Uh, so they mean St. Louis. There they got on a Union Pacific train to Rawlings, Wyoming. The field where they had spread out around the diamonds was close to Black Buttes, Wyoming, but Arnold wanted uh, to keep them from knowing exactly where it was. Right. So he crisscrossed and winded his way on a confusing four-day horseback journey that was totally unnecessary. With them? Yeah. So he's taking the four guys like on this crazy journey that he could have just they could have just gotten there in like half a day. Right. But he wants to make sure that they have no real clue where it is. So he's like, it's just a little further. He kept pretending to be lost, getting off his horse and climbing a nearby hill to get his bearings. The men started to get irritated and started fighting with one another. But finally they arrived. At the Diamond Field at about 4 o'clock on June 4th, 1872. All right. They immediately started looking for diamonds. Arnold started suggesting where they should dig, and by God, he was right. Dude, this is an Easter egg hunt. This is what you do with kids on an Easter egg hunt. I I can't find any. Why don't you check this bush? (laughs) Check this bush here. I bet if you... Not a little further, even. Check the bush a little further. Harp ending quote. After a few minutes, Ruberry gave a yell. He held up something glittering in his hand. For more than an hour, diamonds were being found in profusion, together with occasional rubies, emeralds, and sapphires. Which they're just throwing aside. Get these stupid rubies out of here. This went on for two days. <laughs> so for two 
Jeez. They're just having diamond orgasms for two days. The mining engineer, Janin, lost his shit. <laughs> oh, no. Besides being given a $2,500 fee for his services, the investor said he could purchase 1,000 shares of stock in the Diamond New Venture for $10 a share. And his eyes bugged out of his head. Janin was, quote, wildly enthusiastic. He was saying his name should be associated with the most momentous discovery of the age. Oh, wow. Poor guy. Because he thought the surrounded area could also have gem, gems, Janin staked out 3,000 acres. So now he's now they're he's, just going everywhere. He's all in. But the gems were just located on one acre. <laughs> so weird. What do you think was special about the acre? I don't, I don't know. In his report, so Janin wrote a report. <laughs> He wrote that uh, the proposed 100,000 shares of stock were easily worth $40 each. Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. So it started out as 10. He also pointed out that this new field would certainly control the gem market of the world. After they were done, the group headed back. The, the, the cousins must be like, oh, this is good, but this is going maybe too good. Are people really this? I mean, like, this is this will change the way world handles finance. <laughs> uh, no, dude, chill, chill. I thought we were going to make like 20 grand. I'll buy 300,000 acres. No, 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 no. Think about it. If they're all as populous as this, we'd be fools not to. So after they're done, like three or four days or whatever, they head back. And they left Slack and uh, uh, the English guy, Ruberry to guard the site. But Ruberry and Slack hated each other, so they just bailed and went their separate ways. Okay, good. No one ever heard from Slack again. Okay. Well, he got a fucking 100000 Yeah. Right? Every reason. Yeah. And he's on a lie. Well. Uh, sorry, on a hunch. Back in San Francisco, Arnold got another $150,000 from the investors, as per their agreement. He also immediately sold his stock to Harpening, which gave him more than 300000 Ugh. Now his total haul was five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is about eight million in today's money. <laughs> it's so much. <laughs> Even though he still had more shares coming his way, he figured he was testing his luck, so he bailed and went back to Kentucky to live with his family. Yeah, honestly, at that point, you're like, yeah, deal, deal, yeah, deal, bye, deal. Bye, bye. Yep. Investors were fine with it. Lent said, "Well, they were probably like, what a fool." Janin told him they could. Pull a million dollars worth of diamonds a month with just 20 laborers. <laughs> oh, God. It's like when you pick apples, except it's diamonds. Ugh. And that he's like the the guy to go to, and he's buying yeah. it more than anyone. Yeah. 25 men, the top financial guys in San Francisco, were then allowed to buy stock in the company at 80K each. Wow. $2 million was placed into the Bank of California. Not a share of stock was placed on the market. Quote, although the excitement was intense, all the papers were running stories. Clarence King was born in Rhode Island on January 6th, 1842. His father traded goods with China and spent a lot of time away from the family. He then died in 1848, so Clarence was raised by his mother. As a child, he became interested in the great outdoors and natural history. His mother encouraged him to in these endeavors, as did his local reverend. And when he was 10, he went to schools in Boston and New Haven. And at 13, he was accepted to the prestigious Hartford High School. Uh, there he went, uh, from there, he went to Sheffield Scientific School, which is part of Yale. Okay. He then graduated with a PhD. <laughs> Sorry. P 
peanut. Is ham that the PhD you get at the ninety nine cent store? Peanut ham and butter. PHB. It's. Uh, I think it's a philosophy degree. It's, it's, it's. I mean, we're just very conditioned to PhD. No, I get it. No hate on a PHB, but. Then he and some friends definitely uh, sounds like something a doctor gives his kid on take your kid to work day. Have some PHB, buddy. You're a PHB, my man. Uh, so then uh, King and some friends took a Yale rowboat for the summer and rowed up along the shores of Lake Champlain and uh, some Canadian rivers. After he was in the home of a professor, when he heard a letter read aloud by a dude who had just climbed Mount Shasta, suddenly he had an interest in geology. Okay. In 1863, King and two friends took the rails to Missouri, then hopped a wagon train and went to Carson City, Nevada. Okay. Eventually, he found himself in California, where he got a job with the California Geological Survey, but without the being paid part. Okay. He got a free job. Sure. Well, (laughs) they got a free worker. He got a free job. Sure. Yep. His job was free. I have a job. Yep. You didn't have to pay for it. Right. Suckers. Uh, they climbed many peaks in the West, mapping as they went. He named Mount Whitney. Okay. In 1864, King and a friend were appointed to make a boundary survey of Yosemite Valley. Next, he and his friend were given a job of surveying the Mojave Desert and Arizona. When his stepfather died, he came back to the East Coast, where he lobbied Congress to pay him to survey the Great Basin region. He got federal funding and was named U.S. Geologist of the Geological Exploration of the 40th Parallel. So now he's just fucking mapping. So he puts together a team of three dozen men uh, and for over six years explored the West from Eastern California to Wyoming, 80,000 square miles. So he kind of knows things. He knows some shit. Sure. Around this time, just as the survey is almost done, King found himself on a train with some of his men and an engineer named Janin. Okay. Oh, boy. Janin was returning from a diamond field. And probably wouldn't shut up. <laughs> Boy, you're not going to believe it. Look at my bucket. Honestly. Look at my bucket. I got a fancy rocks. And they got more than the eye could it's see. It's fucking crazy. I'm all in. If this were to collapse, my life would be hey, devastating. Hey, I'm all in. I'm all in. Janin is all Jan in. One of Clarence's crew, geologist Samuel F. Emmons, wrote that, quote, suspicious looking characters on the train are returning diamond hunters. Harry Jannon shows us some of the diamonds, pretty crystals. Clarence's team had heard of the diamond fever that was hitting the West, but most of the rumors had come out of Arizona and New Mexico, which was outside of his survey. Now he found out that the diamond field was supposed to be in the Northwest in his survey area. This was not far from where uh, geologist Emmons had been working. So this was a concern for Clarence. A huge discovery of diamonds would be a problem for his survey and call into question how thorough he and his crew had been. Right. Which may cause those in Congress who were against funding the job to cut off their money. Right. Okay. So Clarence King and his crew decided they had to check out the diamond field as soon as possible. Clarence Emmons and a third man headed for Fort Bridger, Wyoming, two weeks later. They They went there because they had already boarded some mules there for the winter. Back in San Francisco, Janin, having clearly uh, just had an interesting conversation with some geologists on a train, sold all of his shares. Wow. Wow. 
What a great talk. Making a sweet 30,000. Hey, all right. <laughs> Somebody's laughing all the, oh my God. So how much is he in the hole? <laughs> Who? Janet. Uh, oh, Janet's out. He's he's made tons of money. I mean, Oh, he did? Yeah, at this point he's made 32,500. And then on top of that. So he just sold that immediately, but still made money. Yeah, he made. He was given shares or allowed to buy shares. A thousand shares, I thought you said. Well, he oh, no, he made thirty thousand above his fee. So, okay, so he made. So he made a good amount of money. Thirty on top plus his. Plus but he left the train. And he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm still really into it. Hey, I want to get out." <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. I think like, wow. I mean, we're gonna make so much money, you guys. But I gotta get. I gotta. I'm yeah, cashing you know, out. My dog's sick. So I, I gotta got a call big it. Bill coming. I gotta in. get out of here. Gotta, so. I gotta go. You know, whatever you guys look at me right now, whatever you have on you, I gotta go. Fine, I gotta get moving. I am blinking. We we got a deal. I am just very, very happy to be a part of such a great deal. Okay, throw money down. (laughs) Cash. I'll take eight dollars. I'm not kidding. I just want to walk. A week and a half later, King and his uh, uh, two uh, buddies started a 150 mile journey to where they had deduced the site was from speaking to Janin. Their own field work and other clues. So they fucking put it together. Yeah. That's how smart these are. They're like, that are. took you four days? They traveled through brutally cold conditions. After five days, five days, they set up camp and started looking around. It didn't take them long to find a posted claim notice by Janet. Okay. They then followed other posted notices until they came, quote, upon a bare iron stained bit of coarse sandstone rock about 100 feet long. Okay. Thrown down, uh, throwing down our bridle reins, we began examining the rock on our hands and knees, and in another instant, I had found a small ruby. This was indeed the spot. The diamond fever had now attacked us with vigor, and while daylight lasted, we continued in this position, picking up precious stones, and when a diamond was found, it was quite a time before our benumbing fingers could succeed in grasping it, uh, because it was so cold. Right. When they went to sleep that night, they were dreaming of how wealthy they would be. But... The next day, King realized that whenever he found a diamond, he also found a dozen rubies. It was a bit too perfect for it to be occurring naturally. Also, most of the gems were found only in disturbed ground, and it got worse. Rubies found in anthills were surrounded by footprints. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, they're lazy. And, quote, besides the top hole by which the ants made their exit, there was visible in the side another small break in the crust. Okay. So they slide them into the side. Yeah, it's pretty pretty standard. And hills that did not have footprints or broken crusts did not have rubies. Weird. Quote, our explanation was that someone must have pushed a ruby in or two on the end of a stick. They spent days doing more tests, which included digging a trench 10 feet deep in a gulch where diamonds should have been disturbed well below the surface, but there were no diamonds in it. Then on the fourth day, a man rode up on a horse. Okay. He was, quote, a stout party, city-dressed, and looking very much out of keeping with his surroundings. Have you found any carrots around here? The man asked. One of the crew said it was a fraud, and the man responded, quote, What a chance to sell short on the stock. (laughs) Wait. So... So he's saying this is a good time to sell. sell. Yeah. (laughs) So he literally is like, if you wrote him in a movie, people would be like, that's too on the nose. He turned out to be J.F. Barry. He was a New York diamond dealer who had followed 
King's party from Fort Bridger and had been watching them with a spyglass from the top of the nearby bluffs. This guy is badass. So he knows about the diamond. He knows about the diamond fever. He knows that they were out there somewhere. He goes to this fucking place. He sees these guys come out and he follows them. And then he's also like, so it is BS. So it's all shit. Clarence then decided to go to San Francisco, find out the status of the company, and prevent any further selling of stock. He also wanted to get there before Barry could get back and tell everyone of the fraud first. So he wants credit. Right. Who, who wouldn't? So Clarence left camp well before dawn, rode the 45 miles to Black Butte Station, got on a train, and then arrived in San Francisco on November 10th. He went straight to Janin's hotel and spent the night explaining in detail what they had found and convinced Janin he was right and it was a fraud. The next morning, King and Janin met the investors at Ralston's office at the Bank of California. So we got good news? What's happening? Uh, <laughs> well, mean, boy, and let me tell you one thing before you uh-huh. get into it. We've been like kids on Christmas. Okay. I can't wait to hear the good news. Okay. Now dish. It's. We are excited. Okay. It's, Should uh, we light the cigars now? Uh, wait. Let's light them now. Come on, light them. Hand the lighter around. All right. Okay. All right. <sighs> shh, 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 shh. Shut up. Hit us with the good news. He said that they were utterly, the diamond seals were utterly, utterly valueless and that they had been victims of unparalleled fraud. What's the good news? <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote, read them a letter that he had written that was to be published with all this information. Uh, he expressed, explained the tests he and his men had done. Sure. And the investors were, quote, astonished and thrown into utter consternation. Okay, let's not, uh, let's everybody not freak out. Hold okay. on now. Yeah. Hold on now. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good well, that can, um. Uh, but I'm Ralston. Whatever uh, I put my money into turns into gold. Oh, damn it. <laughs> One of the men told King he could gain financially if he were to sit on the news for a day and not tell anyone. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, game over, dude. One more hit. Uh, King responded, quote, there is not enough money in the Bank of California to make me delay publication a single hour. We have more money. The men then agreed to stop the plan sale of 100,000 shares of stock at $100 a share. So people have gone so buttfuck. Okay. $100 a share. Yeah. $100,000. Like, I mean, at that point. Game. Like, I mean, oil money. It's insane. The whole economy would be based on this. Yeah, a diamond. At that point, they talked King into leading another party, including Janin, back to the field. The group set out the next day. When they arrived at the not-diamond field, it was so cold that one man's whiskey was frozen in the bottle. General David Cotton, who had become uh, general manager of the company three weeks before inspected with King and reported back to the investors that he had seen rubies scattered on bare rock where, quote, it would have been impossible for nature to have deposited them as for a person standing in San Francisco to toss a marble in the air and have it fall on Bunker Hill. Can he, can, like... He could have said that. Just once. get to it. He could have said that a lot. So what? It's fake or not? <laughs> well, like I'm saying, I have it, would be, it would be far easier to find... If you wanted to look for diamonds, you'd have a better chance... Having a picnic on a fired cannonball. Or, or putting a hair on the moon. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Any questions? Yeah, what are you talking about? Okay. You would have a better chance uh-huh. throwing a snowball right. onto a train headed for Tallahassee. Is there are there diamonds there? I'm and, answering your question. No, you're not. I'm creating a parallel. <laughs> now you want to know if there are diamonds there, right? When you were a general, did you win any battles? Uh well, no. But uh-huh. everyone had diarrhea one day. Okay. Now, listen. <laughs> okay. Now wait, wait, wait. That's you'd have a better chance. Uh-huh. Putting a checker uh-huh. on an ostrich yeah. who's going to Phoenix. Okay, so I'm going to assume there's, there, it's not real. That's my point to okay. you. I, That's and, the point I'm making to you. I'm going to shoot you in the face. Well, you'd have a harder chance okay. shooting me than you would putting a bullet in your mouth and spitting it through a drain spout. Okay. Like we always said where I'm from. General, you're fired. Well, I don't believe I was ever hired, to be totally honest with everyone. So after the investors got the report and heard Janin try to explain why he had been so wrong, they voted to publish King's letter. Hard, no eye contact in that moment. No. So I'm um, uh, totally way off, I guess. I was so fired up So uh, when I got there. and oh, It's just tough. But again, remember, this is a time where there's not a lot of education. People just say they are. Like King, who is now this crazy, awesome geologic surveyor right. didn't have any actual training in that right he got a philosophy degree right. and learned out there in the so i yeah. don't know who knows what kind of education janin had in engineering or right if he was just a guy who went into a hole well he was excitable uh so uh they voted to publish king's letter and dissolve the company the san francisco chronicle on november 26 had a huge headline unmasked followed by the Great Diamond Fiasco, The Mammoth Fraud Exposed. Janin was the only swindler to profit. Only, okay. only swindled to profit. I don't know if you uh, call him swindled at that point. Yeah. Uh, since Arnold and Slack were long gone, the reporters focused on the victims. Because the victims were all rich millionaires, the papers mocked them as gullible. <laughs> Janin was torn apart in the press for being a so-called mining engineer who was so easily fooled. Miming! Miming engineer! (laughs) (laughs) The papers then turned on Harpending as being suspected of being one of the con men because he was reported to have been in London at the time of one of Arnold's diamond-buying sprees. So the first time he bought diamonds... Yeah, Harpending was there. Right. Yeah. It was discovered that uh, General Butler picked up a thousand shares of stock for pushing a mining act through Congress that allowed the company to buy the federal land that held the diamond fields. So he's in trouble. I mean, boy, what it must have been a fun run when you were able to be like, hey, this guy took uh, money. So yeah. let's talk about it. And people are like, no. Yeah. William Lent lost 350000 and Ralston lost 250000 Oh. Clarence King was a hero. The Chronicle editorialized that we have escaped, thanks to God and Clarence King, a great financial calamity. And they were right. That's pretty cool when your partner's God. The interest was so high in the diamond mine that they would have sold tons of stock. Harpending said, quote, it would have caused a catastrophe almost without parallel in the civilized world. The public was keyed up to the point of speculative craze such as even the Comstock never saw, not alone in San Francisco, but in nearly every financial sector on Earth. Millions upon millions would have been invested. Hmm, that's weird. I wonder if that relates to anything. A lot of people... No. 
a lot of people saw this as the government acting on behalf of the people, the people, because King worked for the government, and he was expertly informed, incorruptible, and smarter than the greedy rich. No one ever found out what became of John Slack. It was believed he left the country or died soon after leaving the Diamond Fields. But in 1967, Bruce A. Woodard, an accountant who had become obsessed with the hoax, wrote that Slack had taken a job building caskets in St. Louis and eventually moved to White Oaks, New Mexico, where he became an undertaker living alone until he died at 76 in 1896. He left behind an estate of uh, $1,600. So he... I, I didn't put this in here, but he went to St. Louis and opened up this casket building company, which eventually either burned down or something happened to it. Okay. And he was out of all his money, and then he moved. Jeez. That's what happened to that fellow. He died. He died. Can't you just easily switch it to a crematorium at that point? Oh. Well, yeah. Arnold did What did okay. you think? You got coffins? I was never doing that. I No, no, no. I'm burning stuff here. Yeah. Arnold did okay. In July 1872, he bought a two-story brick house in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and moved his family into it. He bought 500 acres nearby and bred horses, sheep, and pigs. He put everything in his wife's name. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) Smart. Yeah. Smartest guy. A grand jury in San Francisco indicted Arnold and Slack for fraud, but the contents of the indictment were never revealed. It is believed the investors didn't want any more embarrassing publicity, especially the kind a trial would bring, and they quashed the indictment. When Arnold was told of the indictments by a Louisville paper, he said he had retained his own counsel, a good Henry Rifle. But Arnold eventually did settle out of court with William Lent. He gave him $150,000. Oh, wow. This was the closest he came to acknowledging he had planted diamonds. Still, he was seen as a hero in the area, a man who had taken from the rich after the devastation suffered by the South in the war. It was was found that in 1870, Arnold and Slack... Uh, oh, so it was found that in eight. Oh, this it was found in that in 1870, Arnold and Slack had made a couple of lucky turns selling mines and had made over f- fifty thousand, which they had in a bank. Uh, the deposit was withdrawn in bulk and was traced in the purchase of diamonds in the markets of Amsterdam and London. They bought them from many different businesses to not raise suspicion, and that was their initial stake. The next time uh, Arnold went there, he just walked into one business and asked to see their diamonds and said, how much for the lot? Uh-huh. In 1873, Arnold got into the banking game when he invested in a local bank that had temporarily closed its doors. Five years later, he got into a disagreement with another bank in town, which led to a shootout. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. Put your money in our bank and we'll fucking kill the other guys. <laughs> I mean, I love I love two banks shooting it out. Yeah, the best thing that's ever happened. Chase just shot BOA. <laughs> what? Let them fight. Truly, uh, right? I mean, that's yeah, kind of like no, the first thing you think. I would, I would let BOA yeah. and Chase kill each other. Yeah. Uh, Wells Fargo, break it up, and you also shoot. Uh, three uh, bystanders were wounded, and Arnold was shot by a shotgun blast in the shoulder. Uh, he survived. Six months later, though, he came down with pneumonia and died at the age of forty-nine. His family was left well off, though several hundred thousand dollars have never been accounted for. King became an international celebrity as the whole affair was followed in London and New York. Uh, His book, even today, is considered a classic of American nature writing. He was friends with people like Henry Adams, John Hay, and Henry James. 
Hay called, Hay called Clarence King the best and brightest man of his generation. King returned to the East Coast after his survey and published a book based on his work called Systematic Geology in 1878, which one critic called the most important single contribution made to the scientific knowledge of the continent. But even Clarence King fell under the spell of money. He tried ranching, mining, and even banking, but it, he didn't have the mind for any of them. He lost more money than he made, and he lost the money of many of his friends as well. He eventually died deep in debt of tuberculosis in a small brick house in Phoenix in 1901. He was 59. His friend Teddy Roosevelt sent a wire of condolences from the White House. Wow. Even the fucking smart guy died broke and yeah, because he's trying to be rich. Yeah. How about the story? Is you just have have a job and have fun? No, yeah, it's like the ring. Everyone's got to be rich. Yeah, once you see it, you're like, oh, wait, I got it. But the sirens sing loudly for me. <laughs> Different this time. Um, yeah, if that it would have imploded the international economic. Like, it, the whole system would have collapsed. Well, and for those of us who go, hey, what would that look like? You know, potentially good news on oh, the way. It ends with Trump. Yeah, potentially you might be able to actually see what happens when, um, in America, they're like, no, no, now you guys use yen. <laughs> and we're like, what? Ah? No, it you guys it. use yen now. Oh, so, we do? Yeah. I didn't know we did that. Well, our plan is that we're... Gonna put up a big fence around where we live, and okay. you guys will figure out your new yen economy. All right. All right, we'll be in Elysium. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Close that hatch door. Close the hatch door. I don't want to look at them anymore. Close the hatch. Um, we, uh, we sell diamonds. Sign diamonds? We sign diamonds. We sell diamonds. And potentially soon we'll be decaling cars with our diamond signatures. Oh, right. Yeah. Soon. Miss you. Miss you, man. Miss you, man. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army. To join me for, I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th. Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. 
after it. Let's see you there.